everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. The week that was delivered no shortage of market moving events and this week is shaping up to be no different. Fortunate for us, we do have with us on the line this morning for the CIO Strategy Snapshot, Jason Trejo, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office to bring us up to speed on where we stand as of this morning and speak to what we can expect in the week ahead and how to position accordingly. So Jason, uh, welcome back to Top of the Morning. Great to be with you as always and looking forward to our conversation. Hey, good morning, Darren. Happy Valentine's Day. Hopefully today's a, a good day for the market. So we'll see. Absolutely. We shall see indeed. And just going back to my intro, Jason, so a lot did happen last week. And you think about everything from that inflation report on Thursday, the CPI print, worse than expected. Uh, We heard talk about a potential 50 basis point Fed rate hike in March. And then we ended the week on Friday with reports that a Russian invasion in Ukraine could be imminent. And that extended into the weekend with reported talks between Presidents Putin and Biden, which did not necessarily go so well. So let's perhaps begin with the summary of each of these events, Jason, and where they stand as of this morning. Well, to me, the biggest data point of the week was the inflation number that came out Thursday morning. So this was the January CPI print. Uh, The consensus was 7.2%. It came at 7.5%. So it exceeded expectations. Uh, So that's a little concerning. But that, to me, wasn't the the main part of the, the number. Because when you get inflation at those levels and difficulty, and given the difficulty of measuring inflation on a month-to-month basis, there's going to be noise and volatility. So even three tenths of a percent on the upside. So that's not you know, overly concerning given you know where the levels are. What's kind of more concerning is look across the different components of inflation and see what's rising. It's pretty broad-based. You know, last year when inflation first started to move, it was concentrated in a handful of like autos, you know, airlines, hotels, things that had been hit hard by the pandemic. You know, as the economy kind of bounced back, those prices rose. The thought was, you know, as the, you know things normalize, you know, that inflation will moderate. We're, we're in good shape. Now we're seeing inflation that's very kind of broad-based, including like other services, uh, so which is, means that it's more sort of becoming a little bit more entrenched. And also then the month-over-month inflation number was actually exceeded expectations. And this matters because inflation is, you know, mentioned as a year-over-year change. And we know last year, at least the 30 of the price level overall was lower. Then we had a kind of a big jump up starting the second quarter. As we move into the second quarter this year, that level is higher. So the year-over-year comparison became inflation will moderate to some extent in the second quarter. One of the factors that was kind of giving us comfort is that the month-over-month numbers were also kind of coming down. So you're seeing the pace of inflation also moderating, which would mean that you know, maybe by the end of this year, we're kind of back much closer to like a 2% range. It was that wasn't the case. The month-to-month number was again quite elevated. So you take those two things together, kind of broad-based, and no sort of real moderation on a monthly basis, suggests that just inflation is going to you know, be stickier and harder to sort of bring down potentially without the Fed having to be a little bit more aggressive in, in, in rate hikes. So to me, that that's the, kind of the biggest takeaway from the number. You now it's one data point, and the next CPI number that would comes off for February and early March, it could you know, surprise to the downside, and some of those concerns could kind of. Like, you know, dissipate pretty quickly. Well, that was sort of the main takeaway from the inflation number, which is why, at least the second point on the Fed, you know, by you know, the midday, uh, St. Louis Fed President James Bullard came out and suggested that maybe they have to hike rates 50 basis points in March uh, in order to kind of start to kind of catch up. And, you know, so far behind the curve right now, the Fed is that they have to raise rates pretty aggressively and quickly. Again, this kind of spooked the market that now the Fed might be even more aggressive. They have to go very strong to kind of get inflation under control. 
So that's sort of a macro combination of high inflation and the Fed being aggressive that you know the markets don't like, which is they saw why on you know Thursday things sold off and again on Friday there's a bit of weakness. But it's really a lot Friday afternoon like the big story was you know the, the news that a potential you know invasion by Russia into Ukraine could be imminent, meaning even potentially over this weekend, uh, given the dislocations and disruptions that could cause. And just the risk spillovers, um, even if, you know, the overall economic impact globally is relatively minor, there is a, a small probability of something much more negative happening. And so that was the market sort of responding to that. The good news is that at least this morning, there's new talk that, you know, diplomatic conversations are continuing to take place. So relative to where things stood like Friday afternoon, looks like they've been bounced back slightly today. But I think this is going to be an ongoing situation, at least for the few next few weeks, maybe a couple of months before there's some sort of resolution one way or another. So that's kind of where we stand uh, and why, you know, if you look at markets overseas in Europe, they were down 2 to 3%. But at least this, at this moment in time, U.S. futures are looking slightly up, I think, given all the positive, you know, incrementally positive news on what's happening with Russia and Ukraine right now. Very helpful recap. Thank you for expanding on some takeaways, observations on what drove market activity last week. And to your point, it was encouraging to hear. I believe it was conveyed by Russian Foreign Affairs Minister Sergei Lavrov that there is perhaps a path forward for ongoing negotiations. So we'll see how that materializes over the course of this week. But I do want to focus further in on inflation and the Fed with you, uh, Jason, for a few more moments. And this ties right into the regional U.S. Weekly View authored by the Chief Investment Office. Uh, both yourself and Chief Investment Officer America Salida Marcelli published this report, which is now available up on UBS.com forward slash CIO for reference for our clients and our listeners. But the title is Soft or Hard? And that question asks whether the Fed tightening policy will lead to either a soft or hard landing. So can you expand a bit on that for us, Jason? So what we're referring to is kind of the state of the economy once the Fed starts to raise rates, you know, not just one time, but multiple times. So like where where's the economy kind of later this year uh, and going into next year? And to, you know, our sort of base case is that ultimately we get a bit of a soft landing. And by that, I mean inflation moderates from its current level of 7.5% down to something closer to, say, even 3% by year end. And then trending kind of gradually over time back down closer towards the 2% target. And this happens by the Fed sort of raising rates to more of a neutral policy stance. Growth stays you know, relatively resilient uh, and, and finishes year like around, say, let's say 2%. And then we kind of go from there. So you're you're able to sort of avoid, avoid the worst outcomes while still bringing kind of a inflation. The alternative uh, of a hard landing is that the only way you get inflation to come down is if the Fed has to become much more aggressive, ultimately raise rates into sort of more restrictive policy territory, meaning that they actually intentionally trying to slow the economy sort of engage in sort of demand destruction because part of the reason why inflation is so high is that demand is exceeding supply for any goods. You cool demand by slowing the economy uh, and that brings inflation down. The risk is that when you do that, you know, the recession chances go up quite a bit because historically the Fed hasn't been able to necessarily engineer a soft line like raise rates and have an employment maybe kind of, you know, rise a little bit without things kind of slipping into a recession, even if it's a mild one. And so that is the risk scenario. And that's kind of, I think, after the news last week with inflation and the talk of the Fed, you know, even doing 50 basis points in March, uh, you know, that kind of raises that risk. So where I would think of it is that the, the distribution of different outcomes for the economy, but also if you kind of distill it down for, for equities as a way to kind of capture that view, it's shifted a little bit to the downside, meaning there's more kind of t- downside tail risk because inflation could stay elevated longer. The Fed has to be more aggressive. 
there was a risk of things getting, you know, from a growth perspective and a market perspective, definitely worse. Uh, you know, the worst case scenario being a, you know, a recession. At the same time, the Fed probably has to raise rates, you know, more than we would have thought maybe even, you know, just a few weeks ago, given the inflation numbers. Not so much this year, but over the course of this cycle to bring down inflation. Given that prospect, it probably, you know, starts to kind of pull back a little bit on the upside scenario of things going quite well because it's, unless things truly, you know, improve on the inflation front, it's likely the Fed has to raise rates a decent amount and that kind of caps some of the upside. So it shifts the overall distribution a little bit lower. So you add all this up, it means essentially there's got a little bit more risk to the overall growth outlook. Uh, and that is something that the equity markets right now are sort of kind of grappling with just how much risk is there and then for how do you sort of you know, value the market if that's the case. But really this stems from the, the inflation scenario because the inflation scenario will drive the Fed and the Fed tightening would have the impact on growth. And the challenge of all this is that inflation is sort of notoriously difficult to predict. Uh, we think it will come down, but it, you know it's still not going to come down in a smooth, linear path. So given that, it just means there's you know, more uncertainty that we have to deal with. Um, I think the risk of a soft versus hard landing, a little more probability has gone to hard versus soft, even compared to just a, a week ago. Soft still looks like the more likely scenario, but I think that, that, that's how the probabilities have shifted in our mind over the past week. Well, Jason, thank you for the added color there on inflation and the Fed. And in an effort to perhaps define or explain the positive macro outlook, it was interesting in the report, uh, you do cite two market and economic developments that are more reassuring about the outlook. So can you speak to what those are? Well, there are two of them. One is kind of what rate markets are already pricing and where rates can go. And the second is the underlying fundamentals that would drive growth. On the first you know, the rate market this year has priced in a lot of, you know, Fed hiking already compared to where we were on January 1, where we were still wondering, like, when the Fed would, you know, stop QE. Now the market's pricing for about six rate hikes this year, and it depends on what exact measure you're using. Uh, we've seen a big move in the front end of the yield curve, like the two-year Treasury yield has gone up, you know, now like around 1.6%. We've seen a nearly 50 basis point rise in the 10 years. So the markets, the rate markets have already moved a lot expecting the Fed, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do in terms of hiking rates this year. This has clearly caused some stress in risk asset markets, certainly equities and credit markets. But given the very sizable pivot that we've seen in central banks globally, really over the past you know, six, seven weeks, I think they've held up, you know, reasonably resiliently, given that they're you know, maybe down three to four percent kind of year to date. So a lot of sort of, you know, rate hiking is already priced in. For rates to go a lot higher from here, it will take more than the Fed actually hiking six times because the market's expecting that. It's going to take sort of a view that, you know, maybe growth will actually be a little bit more resilient uh, and therefore sort of long in the 10-year yield could actually rise. There is a lot of concern about the yield curve flattening, and we've seen the difference between the 10-year yield and the two-year yield drop to a low 38 basis points last week, which is the lowest it was or has been since April of 2020 when the pandemic was at its start of tight. Um, the yield curve typically flattens and ultimately sort of inverts prior to recession. So this is often an indicator and concerns about a recession risk. So this is sort of the market telling you we're concerned about medium to long-term growth. So for rates to go higher, there's a sort of endogeneity in that, well, rates go higher because ultimately the growth outlook actually looks a little bit better. Uh, if the growth outlook is better, that means actually they can handle the, you know, the, the a rise in rates from this, the current levels. Another reason why rates can go higher is that inflation continues to stay elevated and sticky, and therefore you just have to price in you know, more Fed risk premium and the Fed pricing the Fed having to raise rates higher for longer. But you know, unless it's all that destroyed, I think any rise in rates from here is also synonymous with actually better growth outlook. So in some way, higher rates aren't necessarily a bad view or indicator of the macro environment in that case. Then there's a question, we'll go, how much are rates going to hurt the economy? 
And the move thus far, you know, still relatively modest. And rates are still, by most measures, historically low. Real interest rates, which you can say what ultimately matter, um, are, are very low. So the 10-year real yield is around minus 50 basis points. The last time there was a real kind of growth or recession scare prior to the pandemic was in December of 2018. And then the real rate was around 1%. So rates would have to go quite a bit higher for it to really kind of get concerns about uh, to kind of the growth environment. We're already seeing some pickup in economic activity as the Omicron wave declines. So there should be some reacceleration of growth in the U.S. and globally as we move into the spring. And then at a more micro so fundamental level, you know, the household balance sheet, the corporate balance sheet is in really strong shape. You know, if you just measure this by sort of the amount of debt versus income, the debt servicing costs for households, the overall level of, you know, interest payments on mortgages is relatively contained. So even a little bit higher rates, households should be able to absorb that, especially with the wage growth being as elevated as, as it is. And if we turn to the corporate side, you know, they have so much cash on their balance sheets because of either issuing debt or corporate profits in very strong. That sort of net debt ratios and levels are quite low, certainly for you know, higher yield companies, riskier companies, lower than they have been prior to the last three you know, rate hiking cycles beginning. So the fundamentals that suggest there's a lot of scope for the economy to handle rates moving a little bit higher without really impinging growth. And this is important because in order to get a recession, you have to have some sort of you know, catalyst that kind of or spark that kind of lights it, but also have conditions in place that make the economy vulnerable to recession, some sort of excess in terms of consumption or spending or investment. That's not really the case right now at all for the consumer, even the household or the business sector. So that, again, makes it a little more resilient to potentially recession risks. And I think that gives us some comfort that it's going to take a lot for us to actually dip into a recession anytime soon. I think the market's been a little too cautious on that overall. So when we kind of take those two factors, these kind of the rates, so to speak, what's being priced, and the markets and the economy's resiliency towards higher rates, that gives us a sort of comfort while ultimately sort of a soft landing is still a reasonable base case scenario. Jason, with that outlook in mind and these risk considerations, there is a lot there to consider, whether it be on the macroeconomic front, the policy front from the Fed, of course, who take into account geopolitical risks, still ongoing, remains very fluid, in particular in Eastern Europe. What are you telling clients to do? How are you advising our clients to navigate through these developments and considerations when it comes to portfolio positioning? Well, we first still think equities are going to move higher over the next you know, six, nine months. Uh, so so the trend in, is, is, is higher. So that's a, a positive. Now, the path there is going to be volatile and things might, again, sort of you get pullbacks before you kind of move, you know, grind higher. And it may take you know, a couple of months of, better economic data of growth getting better, inflation numbers coming down, and somewhat paradoxically, the Fed actually starting to raise rates that might kind of calm investor fears. The thought right now is the Fed and other central banks are so far behind the curve of where they should be, with, given the state of the macro environment, that actually raising rates might sort of alleviate some of the fear that, okay, now the Fed is actually starting to kind of regain control of the narrative and ultimately maybe control of some of the inflation dynamics. And, you know, typically... You get a situation where in financial markets, there's an adage that once policymakers start worrying, investors can start relaxing a little bit. And we may get that sort of scenario kind of play out in, you know, in, in the March timeframe once it actually does start to raise rates. So big picture, I think there's still upsides for equities. Uh, near term, some more volatility. Uh, one of the challenges is that because you know, the Fed and other central banks have to raise rates, and the raising rates or how much they raise rates is contingent on the economic data from growth data to inflation data, which is, again, noisy and sort of volatile. It means markets are sort of noisy and volatile, and it may take a little while for that clear direction to trend higher. But ultimately, we think it will. Now, given that we do think that rates are you know, are going higher and there's, there's volatility, I think you know, things that you should be effectively doing is making sure you're diversified 
across different asset classes in the markets. We know a lot of investors in the U.S. are still allocated heavily towards growth stocks and tech stocks. If we think about what you know has been performing better on a relative basis, it's other parts of the market in the U.S., but also globally. So last week, you know, for example, emerging market equities, you know, outperformed other regions. European equities have held up better this year. So I think again, so that diversification, sort of taking a longer-term perspective, is important. Uh, you know, to prepare for rising rates. So that means, uh, you know, within the things taking home or even equity space, you know, reducing either exposure to things that are negatively exposed to higher rates, but also tilting towards asset classes like, you know, energy or financials, that would benefit relatively from from higher rates. Uh, you know, we don't think you know investors want to have cash strictly on hand, but now that you know the your yields move, you know, 1.6 percent, and a very short duration, some fixed income, safe fixed income is now looking a little bit more attractive. Was deployed to buy, you know, markets when things start to kind of you know the market environment improves a little bit, uh, you know, better. So those are sort of the, the core messages that we're saying. You know, overall position, we still feel kind of comfortable with a equities going higher. But certainly near term, uh, you know, there's going to be more volatility. I think it's important to kind of look through that and, and take a longer term perspective. Jason, very productive, helpful conversation to begin the week. As we highlighted, uh, there is a lot in play at the moment. So it's helpful to hear CIO's interpretation of these macro factors, these risk considerations, what an outlook looks like as of this morning. And how, from a client's perspective, how should I think about positioning my portfolio accordingly? So thank you for dropping by top of the morning today, Jason. Wish you a great week ahead. You too. Thank you, Dan. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. The publication which Jason has been making reference to during our conversation this morning, uh, that being the weekly regional view for the U.S. from the Chief Investment Office, a title is Soft or Hard. So for clients of UBS, please contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 